Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Changing the Game with HR, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the HR status quo and how people are organized, engaged, and motivated to create real business impact. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, 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 welcome. If you know the code, you'll know that means we have four guests in the house today. It's just a little inside secret. If you want to run with the game changers, oh, you know you're in the right place. The buzz today, I'm going to quote the Apple SVP, Angela Arendt. Here's the quote. Just put the best person into the job, and I'm going to editorialize that and ask, damn it. I'm just going to say, damn it. So there. So what are we talking about? Companies today are increasingly being scrutinized. By whom? Well, let's start with the media. We're talking regular media, social media. It's out there by their customers, by their prospects, and by shareholders. I think that's a full frontal attack at all sides. Why? They're being asked whether they're giving full workforce, their full workforce, equal access to opportunities and rewards. Now think about this. There are challenges facing every company today, considering the cultural and structural changes impacting everything from whom do they hire, who gets promoted, every human capital decision in between those bookends. What are they going to do? What policies are going to have? Are they going to enforce? Are they going to be able to enforce? We're basically talking about, of course, diversity and inclusion. Now, let's throw another monkey wrench into this. Women now comprise almost 50% of the world's workforce. That's right, almost 50-50. So gender equality used to be a cultural, oh, nice to have, we're doing it. Yes, we're playing by the new rules. Now it is an economic and business imperative. It's important. It's vital. You're being looked at. So let me ask a question to our listeners around the world. How does your company measure up? If we have to do a reality check or hold up that mirror, whether the mirror is being held up by the media, by customers, prospects, shareholders, anybody, management, how are you doing? Are you really putting in place gender equality? You're just saying, yeah, Maybe next month, maybe next year. Well, we haven't gotten around to it yet. We have a panel of experts from around the world, from every possible discipline, joining us today. Let me just tell you who's on the panel, and then we'll get started with our opening quotes. First up, we're going to be welcome Tina C. Nielsen, and she spells her first name T-I-N-N-A, in case you're looking for her. She's an anthropologist and social entrepreneur, the founder of Move the Elephant for Inclusiveness. I love that. Co-founder of Inclusion Nudges Global Community of Sharing, and co-founder of the Inclusion Nudges Guidebook. Joining Tina on the panel will be Tanya M. Odom, O-D-O-M. She's a global consultant, coach, author of Innovation and Creativity, Civil Rights, Diversity and Inclusion, Team Building, Mindfulness Coaching, Inclusion Leadership, Girls Leadership Development, and Youth Empowering Mentorship. She is a powerhouse as well. Joining them, we are welcoming back Nicole McCabe, a Senior Director of Global Diversity and Inclusion at SAP. And rounding out the panel, of course, is the sponsor of this new series, Dr. Patty Fletcher, who is now with SAP Success Factors. So now that you know, we've got some mighty powerful people on the panel with a lot to share and a lot to say. Let me introduce formally Tina C. Nielsen, and Tina has sent me a quote from Margaret Mead. You all remember 1901 to 1978, she was an American cultural anthropologist, author, and speaker. She has a bachelor's, had a bachelor's from Barnard in New York City and a master's and PhD from Columbia, and she was 
was a respected and often controversial academic who popularized the insights of anthropology in modern American and Western culture. And she's most famous for her reports about the attitudes toward SEXX in South Pacific and Southeastern Asian traditional cultures that influenced the sexual revolution back in the 60s. Here is the quote. I love it. We hear it often, and it still holds true. Never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. Indeed, it's the only thing that ever has. Tina C. Nielsen, welcome to Game Changers. How are you, Tina? I'm good. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, we're delighted. Talk to me. Are you a big fan, follower of Margaret Mead? She's an anthropologist, and uh, you are too. So tell me, how did you pick this quote for our topic today, Tina? Because for me, it's the ultimate empowerment quote. Um, it, you know, the power is with the people from all walks of life. And uh, basically, everybody can start a movement of change. And um, there's no excuses for waiting for the others to do something. I, I truly believe that anything is changeable. Government, policies, institutions, organizations, behaviors, cultural systems. So, yeah, for me, it resonates uh, very well. So the nonprofit organization I started up uh, has that as a mission to empower and enable, enable as many people as possible to actually make changes for more inclusive uh, world and communities and societies and organizations. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Tina. Pleasure to meet you. I have a quick question for you. The Thank quote you. specifically says, never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed, committed citizens. So as you spread the word and the rest of our panelists do about advocacy, about embracing this, as we said in the beginning, diversity and inclusion, especially with women, gender equality. It's not just a look at how cool we are. We're doing this. It's a damn it. This is part of your bottom line. It's going to affect your business, your reputation, everything you do. So when we talk about, as Margaret Mead said, a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens. What happens when that gets bigger? Is that a good thing when we're talking about a global powerhouse of committed citizens? Is that better? I think a lot of times when it comes to these kind of changes, a lot of people say it has to be top-down. I'm mm-hmm. actually of the other uh, commission. I think bottom-up movements are crucial because I, I think it happens with really the people in the bottom of the pyramid. Um, and there's a lot of people. So um, I don't think it's really about how big a group it is, but I do truly believe that a lot of the changes that we will, we see, have seen, and will see in the future will come from small groups of people that just really commit themselves to doing, to make a change and believe that they can make a change. I think that's the key, believe that you can make a change. And what's mm-hmm. that old expression, uh, uh Change begins with you, changing the world. It begins with each one of us. Look in the mirror and do something. I I agree. Thank you so much, Tina. Great (laughs) insights. Good start to our topic. Let's welcome Tanya M. Oden, as I said, global consultant, coach, and author. She gets around all over the world. And Tanya has sent us a wow quote from Gloria Steinem. Gloria is still with us. She's born in 1934. She's an American feminist, journalist, social and political activist who became recognized nationally as a leader and spokeswoman for da, 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 the feminist movement in the late 1960s and early 70s. I don't know if anybody else on the show today other than me remembers those days, but I do. Gloria Steinem was a columnist for New York Magazine and a founder of Ms. Magazine. And in 1969, her article, 
after black power, women's liberation brought her to national fame as a feminist leader. She also co-founded the Women's Media Center in 2005 with Jane Fonda and Robin Morgan to make women visible and powerful in the media. Here's the quote Tanya has selected. Everybody put your seatbelts on early for this one. The truth will set you free, but first it will piss you off. <laughs> Tanya, I can't say that was a trade fate. Tanya M. Odin, that was amazing quote. How are you, Tanya? Welcome to the show. Thank you. Hello, everybody. So talk to us. How did you come to pick this? Are you a, an, an, un, uh, an unwavering fan of Gloria Steinem's, or is this something that crossed your desk? I mean, I think it's a great connection to Tina's sort of comments about people changing the world from all over the world, from the bottom up and top down. So I've loved this quote. Every time I see it, it's a meme on Facebook. People have taken it and made it, you know, into different sort of languages and, and shared it around the world. I think it really talks to some of what I believe the work in diversity and HR and civil rights is about, which is really telling the truth about who's at the table, who's not at the table, who's getting the job, who's not, and what we need to fix in order to really make things inclusive. And frankly, I do think sometimes the work that I do and some of the others on this call do is we do piss people off and we have to be okay with that. Hmm. Well, that's an interesting attitude. I, I guess that's true. If you're convinced that your advocacy, that your energy, that your outspokenness, I don't know if that's a word, is going to make a difference. As uh, Tina said in the Margaret Mead quote, a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. Then you just do it and you really don't look back over your shoulder, do you, Tanya? Tanya, any thoughts on that that uh, quote from Tina from Margaret Mead? Anything you want to comment on that before I move on to our next panel? No, no, I mean, I think it's a great quote. And I really think they're connected. And I don't think to piss people off means you alienate or put down. I actually think sometimes we're trusted advisors to people in companies and schools and organizations and NGOs around the world. So sometimes we are the mirror to some of these things. And I think people like Margaret Mead um, are people who exemplify that, right? Sharing people's stories. And I, and I think that's what we do. So Gloria Steinem continues to do it. I watched her online the other day. So I thought the quote was pretty good in terms of the continued work she's done and that we all are doing. Thank you very much. Another good intro to our topic. We have another, well, amazing lady on the on the panel, but another amazing quote. Nicole McCabe, Senior Director of Global Diversity and Inclusion at SAP, has sent me a quote from Jane Goodall. This is like the sources for our quotes are just major, major contributors here. I will read a little bit. Dame Jane Morris Goodall, who is now age 82, she was formerly the Baroness Jane Von Lavick Goodall. Goodall is a British primatologist ethologist, anthropologist, and UN messenger of peace. She is considered still the world's foremost expert on chimpanzees, best known for her 55-year-old study of social and family interactions of wild chimps in the Gombe Stream National Park in Tanzania, and the founder of the Jane Goodall Institute and the Roots and Shoots program. We'll leave it at that, and here's the quote. Every individual matters. Every individual has a role to play. Every individual makes a difference. Nicole McCabe, how have you been? It's been a long time. Good, Bonnie. How are you? I'm fine, thanks. Thanks for joining us. So talk to me. Are you a, you, I don't think we all sat down around a table and said, okay, one of you is going to pick a quote from Margaret Mead. One's going to choose Gloria Steinem. One's <laughs> going to choose uh, Jane Goodall. I don't think we said, okay, let's play uh, famous women anthropology and, and, and advocate, advocacy a roulette and see who we come up with. So how did you pick this quote from Jane Goodall? Fascinating. 
Well, it's funny because it kind of goes along with the theme of Margaret Mead, um, you know, as well as Gloria Steinem. And I think it's just that, that concept of, one, everybody matters individually, right? So as we're fighting for civil rights, um, seeing who we're putting at the table, seeing who we're promoting, somebody has, everyone has something to contribute, a unique perspective and unique experience um, to contribute to that, right? But then the flip of this is also that we can't wait for others to take action, as, you know, Tina had mentioned and Margaret Mead's quote hints to, right, that a lot of that time, that change comes from down below. It comes from the individuals. It comes from that grassroots. Um, so this quote, for me, really captured that essence, that not only do you matter as an individual, and people need to respect that and acknowledge it, but also it's not enough for to have others do all the work. Every single one of us has a role to play, and, and within that role we can drive impact. So that's, uh, that's what attracted me to this quote. Thank you very much, Nicole. Pleasure to have you back. Don't let it be so long next time till you come back on Game Changers. And now let's round out the panel with the person, the lady who sponsors this series for SAP. She's actually with SAP Success Factors. It's Dr. Patty Fletcher. And Patty has picked another iconic woman, but she happens to be a lot younger than the ones we've quoted already on the panel. This is a quote from Deborah L. Spar, who is the president of Barnard College. And if case anybody uh, is not aware, Barnard is a liberal arts, co- liberal arts college for women affiliated with Columbia University. She is also an academic dean within the university. She was appointed as Bar- Barnard's seventh president in July 2008 after a teaching career at the Harvard Business School. In 2001, she wrote an article called Why the Internet Doesn't Change Everything, which described the distinctive nature of the Internet industry. But her penultimate book uh, might be interesting to all of you listening out there, The Baby Business, How Money, Science, and Politics Drive the Commerce of Conception. I'm just going to stop right there. Here's the quote Patty has sent us from Deborah L. Spar. Feminism wasn't supposed to make us miserable. It was supposed to make us free. The challenge lies in recognizing that having choices carries the responsibility to make them wisely, striving not for perfection or the ephemeral all, but for lives and loves that matter. Patty, I want to cry. This is so beautiful. Ah, that quote still gives me chills. <laughs> oh, Patty, it's just I'm, I'm sitting here holding on to my desk. Uh, welcome, <laughs> Patty Fletcher. How are you? Great panel you've picked, by the way. So talk to me. Are you a big fan of Deborah Spar? I am, I am, and I, I do have to point out that came from Wonder Woman. Um, and if you ask Tina, I'm sorry, Tanya, about that, she might tell you what her uniform is under her clothes every day. It's a Wonder Woman uniform with a cape. Um, sorry, Tanya, I had to out you. Um, I, I, I love this quote, and and the reason I I picked it and I use it quite a bit is, you know, all of us come to where we are. Um, from different journeys, and mine came from being born and raised in a pretty conservative family in the Northeast, and um, my father would say things like, you know, back when I was growing up, if women wanted equality, they can open their own damn doors, and I used to think, what the hell does it have to do with equality, and at the same time, my parents, both of them raised me to ask for questions and believe I can do anything and get into that White House, right, so they unknowingly (laughs) raised me to be a feminist. And it was really me realizing what Deborah's talking about is feminism is not about women getting the job even when they are not um, qualified for it, right? Like choosing a woman over a man. Um, it's about truly about equity, um, equal access 
equal freedom, equal choices. And as everybody who is on the call has said, we are, make no doubt, we're fighting for this. And when you are changing a status quo, you have to start getting comfortable with being uncomfortable because you're mm. screwing up somebody else's world. And so it's, it's, it's hard. And with women, our access looks different than a man's access because we do have other things. We have the third shift. We have, you know, different, different types of lives. So it might not be like our lives look like free and easy, I think, as perhaps early feminists thought it would be. We have a lot more to juggle. But that's okay, and we'll, we'll figure it out. Thank you, Patty. Great quote. And yes, you did tell me this was from Deborah L. Spar, 2013, Wonder Woman, Sex, Power, and the Quest for Perfection. And then we've got that word, that nasty word, perfection, in there. Thank you, Patty. Wonderful topic. Very exciting. And uh, I'm very honored to be speaking with such good world travelers, such um, such advocates from such diverse backgrounds here on the panel today. So now let's get a little personal with our panel. Tina C. Nielsen, I warned you on our prep call I was going to ask you a very personal question. I think the other ladies are lined up shaking behind you because they know you've got to go first. Tina C. Nielsen, (laughs) where are you calling from? What time of the day it is? I didn't get to the personal part yet. And what are you drinking right now? That's called What's in Your Cup Today in Coffee Break with Game Changers Lingo. Or what are you planning to drink to celebrate after the show today? Tina? I love this. So I'm calling in from Denmark and it's uh, it's past 8 o'clock in the evening here. Um, I'm drinking something as boring as a bottle of water, but it's only because I'm I'm stuck in a conference venue where I've been training top leaders all day. But anyway, uh, if I could choose, I would have myself a cold gin and tonic with sliced cucumber and freshly grained pepper. That's my new favorite drink. Wait a minute. It wait is, a minute. Uh, did you say you said freshly ground? Pe- did you say cucumber in a? What does that taste like? What do you do with the cucumber? Is it just for decoration, or is it uh, no, part of the drink? It's del- it's delicious to eat once you've had your cold drink, and the 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 freshly grained pepper just is like burning on your tongue. Like I'd never had this before. I it, I was at this cultural center. I I invited my friends to go for this. Um, story slam session, and uh, they were a bit worried, but once uh, the bartender served us these gin and tonics with cucumber, the conversation completely changed because nobody had tried that before, so that became like the new friendship drink, and now we're spreading it whenever we're with friends. It's uh, become the friendship uh, building, um, strengthening core of everything. Oh, I've never heard a cocktail described quite that way, a friendship drink. I have to make some more friends and go out drinking right after the show. Patty, where are you? In Boston today, you got to come down to New York. We're going to go have our friendship drink after the show. I do have to come down to New York. I also need to go visit Tina again because when I met her, we had coffee, and I quite like this. This this sounds a lot more now, right? This sounds a lot more fun. Thank you for that, Tina. You just raised the mood. And now let's go to Tanya M. Odin. Where are you calling from, Tanya? And seriously, what are you drinking today? Or what are you planning to drink later? Well, I, I'm still stuck on Tina's drink. So I'm calling from New York, New York. And um, I don't have anything in my hand. I'm actually in a high school in New York City right now preparing for a graduation. So I don't think it would be proper to have anything but water, which I also have in my bag. But later on, I will, I'm sure, have a glass of Prosecco. As Patty knows, that's sort of some things I'm connected to, Wonder Woman and Prosecco. That so would be a glass of Prosecco. <laughs> Well, we're certainly, I said it was personal. I didn't think we were going to get this personal. Thank you, Tanya. I appreciate that. (laughs) Nicole, I can't ask you to compete with these drinks, but go ahead, take a shot at it. Nicole McCabe. (laughs) 
Thanks, Bonnie. So I'm calling in from Philadelphia, and um, I, I would I know what I'm going to be drinking later of all these recommendations. Um, so that's for sure. But right now, I'm I'm a little boring, I would say, and I'm drinking uh, coconut lime seltzer. Coconut lime. Is there a brand on that? I might want to pick some of that up before I go for gin and tonic. I'm not a real big drinker, so maybe I'll need something in between pretending to drink it down. So what brand, is there a brand on that, Nicole, Adirondack. on the bottle? Yeah, Adirondack. Adirondack. Okay, thank you. We are allowed to drop name brands here. Appreciate that. Patty Fletcher, the Wonder Woman who put this all together for us today. What are you drinking or what are you going to deserve <laughs> to drink afterwards, Patty? Well, I'm going to start with the cocktail that Tina just described, and I'm going to send her an offline note to find out if the pepper is along the rim or not, because I'm fascinated by that. Um, and then I'm going to follow it up with Prosecco, my also favorite, King Kryptonia. Um, but really what I'm drinking right now is um, America Runs on Duncan, or at least Boston does. And so that's what I'm drinking right now is some Dunkin' Donuts coffee. And Bonnie, putting you yes. on the spot because this is about being inclusive, what are you drinking? Oh, you know I'm going to tell you anyway, but thanks for asking. I'm always <laughs> drinking the same thing. Patty and I think Nicole know that they don't let me have any caffeinated beverages on radio show days. And this is a two-show, two-live show day on Thursdays. I started at 10 a.m. and here we are at 2 p.m. Eastern. So, Patty, my friend, I'm drinking cool, clear water in a cool, clear mug, looking out at the quasi-sunshine, and I have a yellow straw in my water because I'm hoping for more sunshine. How about that? So That's as sexy as it gets here. It's just water in a in a clear mug. I don't. Know. I gotta. I gotta work this up anyway. Thank you for asking. You're very kind. So guess what? I'm going to give my guests a chance, our panelists a chance to take a quick break, a pause that refreshes. We are talking to a real powerhouse panel today: Tina C. Nielsen, Tanya M. Odin, Odom, O D O M. I got to get that right. Nicole McCabe and Dr. Patty Fletcher. Our topic today is HR inclusion and diversity. Where to from here? And this is not something you just put into your GPS and get a quick picture of a map with somebody saying turn right at the next light a little more complicated than that you're listening to the series sponsored by dr patty fletcher we are called changing the game with hr radio presented by sap and a shout out to my colleague susan m gaylor who is listening on the sidelines and she's going to do a great blog about this conversation susan great to have you on board appreciate it very much and we're going to take a quick break so don't even think of touching that mouse that app, that dial. We will be right back. Justin, out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. From setting up the right structures, enabling technology, and compliant operations, to hiring, developing, and cultivating a culture of success, SAP Success Factors is excited to be your partner in redefining what human resources can deliver to business leaders. Changing the Game with HR brings you insights from the movers and shakers who are making this happen. We'll delve into global business challenges from the boardroom to the shop floor and learn what is working and what has to change, all to help you change HR from transactional to transformational. Tune in to the Business Channel to hear today's top human resources business and technology strategy thought leaders share expert insights on how human resources leaders are shaping the future of change for all of us. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network.
listening to Changing the Game with HR, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Changing the Game with HR. Here we are. We're back, and we have a lot of important business to discuss today. Great panel. You all know who they are because we only took a 60-second break, and you didn't forget them that fast. Let's kick off the roundtable formally with Tina C. Nielsen. If you're looking for her, it's T-I-N-N-A, middle initial C-N-I-E-L-S-E-N. And as I said, she's the founder of Move the Elephant for Inclusiveness, and you can go to movetheelephant.org org and see all about it. Tina's going to kick off the roundtable with the following topic she sent me in her notes. I'm just going to read and ask her to expand it. Quote from Tina, we are talking to the wrong brain system and we are speaking the wrong language. By that, I mean we rely too much on the rational mind to make the needed changes. Tina, please expand this. Take two minutes and tell us more and then we will ask the other people on the panel to chime in. Go ahead. Yes, thank you. Uh, so we know from behavioral um, science that we have two brain systems. We have a rational mind and we have um, an unconscious mind that's rather rational and uh, emotional driven. And the unconscious mind is, you know, dominating about 90, 95% of our behavior and our decision making. And yet over and over again when we're working with uh, creating more inclusive and diverse and gender equal organizations, we find that people keep relying on communicating the business case or getting people to get it or um, measuring the numbers and then relying on that. So there's a lot of talk and there's a lot of uh, rational talk. But I just over and over again, having been an internal change maker and having been the global head of inclusion, diversity, and a global organization, I've just seen... No, it's like pushing water uphill all the time because you will have and you will find the majority of people buying in on this message and they'll be like, of course we need this. I, I support this. I want this. But yet again, you would see their behavior keep going back to default or being the same kind of behavior because we are literally blind to the inequality that we keep reproducing in our unconscious actions. So my point is if we want to succeed with this um, relying less on the rational mind, but actually design interventions that can motivate the unconscious mind, which is very much about getting it to feel the need to change instead of rationally understanding the need to change. Uh, It's also about designing interventions where we redesign the already existing organizational processes, like a recruitment process or talent management process, or the way we facilitate meetings or calibrate performance or set targets, everything that we do already, we can actually redesign to help the unconscious mind be more inclusive of diversity and, you know, basically everything we do um, is affected by these two systems not working that great together, actually. And and another thing is, if I could just add that, is Mm -hmm. that a lot of times, because we're speaking the wrong language, we actually activate fear in the unconscious mind. Uh, we do unconscious bias awareness training. means I'm, uh, oops, I'm going there to get fixed. Is something wrong with me? Or you know, I have to uh, give up some of my privileges. So we activate fear. Sometimes there's a lot of finger pointing in this. So we activate shame in people. And that's not motivating people to change behavior. So I think in that sense we, we have some uh, cleaning up to do in, 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 in how we design interventions and, and what kind of language we speak. Thank you. Speaking of language, let's see what Tanya M. Odin would like to add to this topic. Tanya, thoughts on what Tina just shared, please. 
Yeah, I think, I mean, I, Tina and I agree we know this, and we're colleagues, and I respect her work tremendously. I mean, I've been doing this work for about 23 years, and I think I come about it a little differently, but I completely agree that we need approaches that are different than what we have, right? We've been doing this work for so long, and we haven't seen the changes that we want to see. So I completely agree with that. Um, I also think we want to look at this as a change process. So I think that's something else I would add. Okay. Thank you. Nicole McCabe, you're up. What do you think? Yeah, no, obviously, I mean, I agree with, with what both of them said. I do think that there is a need to change the approach um, in how a lot of organizations are tackling um, diversity and inclusion. And certainly, you know, removing, I love the fact that Tina caught out, you know, a lot of it has to do with shame. So removing the shame and blame from it all. Um, and really figuring out how do you engage the people and how do you engage them at the right point in the right time, whether that's process, um, re-engineering, whether it's putting reminders in place um, that, again, remove that defensiveness that are just reminders to the unconscious, right? So I, I completely um, agree with both of them. Thank you. Patty Fletcher, you want to take a, a contrary opinion or are you going to chime in with uh, an agreement? What are, you, are you violently in agreement or out of agreement? You know, um, I, it's, it's a few things. So the, the truth of the matter is I can't stand the word empower, so I'm so happy we all aren't using it. But the reason I bring that up is being in a change business for as long as I have and as long as everybody on this phone has been, we know something that's to be absolutely true, and that's people don't change because you tell them to. They change when you enable them to. And there is nothing more emotional that I've seen over the past years than this topic because we are triggering things where people feel like they're getting stuff taken away from them or that they're receiving something. And so I like this whole kind of nudge thing, which, Tina, I'm sure you'll, you'll talk about. Um, my, um, one of my colleagues, Gabby Bookaloo, went to an um, industrial psychology conference a few weeks ago, and they talked about choice architecture. And what that essentially means is putting tools in front of somebody to enable them to do something totally different without them even realizing it. For example, blinding a resume where you don't see a name or an address and therefore not un- having that unconscious bias be able to kick in. You're not even giving them a choice to do that. So I, I agree. Um, I think it's really, really difficult unless somebody feels some kind of awareness, right, the individual change journey, awareness around, hmm, this new way of being is really great and then takes that next step to, and I really want to be part of it, lots of people don't. They're not going to get to desire. So being able to do, as Tina had said, give them some tools that um, if it's 90 to 95% of a decision, I don't want that in there if it doesn't mean I'm going to get the best talent. So agree, but just have a little bit of a different lens on it and how we would get there. Thank you, Patty. Tina, I'm going to circle back to you and ask if you want to comment on what we have shared around the table on the topic you started, please. Yeah, so so it's interesting about the tools because I've seen my share of toolboxes been designed for this, and um, I actually don't believe in it. Uh, it's interesting when you've been a part of doing that yourself. Um, but what I found to be working is is really that, as, as Patty says, uh, choice architecture. You can do you can do that, but a lot of times we actually design a lot of good things as change makers. But the, the problem is we don't get buy, people to buy in on it, and then it becomes all of a sudden about compliance. And people have to do it because somebody told them to do it, and we all know that doesn't work. So, so the interventions I design is really if you can get people to see the inequality um, or um, you can show them the behaviors that they're actually 
the behavior they're doing, they're actually doing, is often very different from their self-perception or their intention of doing something good or at least hire the best qualified person. You can't tell them, well, excuse me, but you're actually not hiring the best qualified person. It's a biased process. You are hiring maybe just, you know, somebody who looks like yourself. You can't tell people that because Mm -hmm. it's not going to change their behavior. They might just get defensive. But you can show them. You can design interventions that show them that they just chose the the, the candidate uh, based on a picture, a name, a, you know, a specific gender, and now they realize, oh my goodness, this is actually a very biased process. But we're not talking about bias. It's just that the decision making is is um, allowing your brain to really cheat you to think that you're hiring the best qualified person, and then. I mean, of course, we can keep talking about bias, and I do also believe that we need a rational understanding of things. But I do need to think that we need to help people um, see their actual behavior and then motivate them to change it on their own. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Tina. Not Very good on their own, but then we help yep. them, right? Sure, Sorry. Patty. Just, just kind yes. of going, yeah. So, mm-hmm. you know, when we're talking about business, we do have to talk about process. We do have to talk about tools. And um, not everyone's going to get there. And I love, Tina, your approach of, you know, kind of hold up and and bring them through. And I do think it's an and and not an or approach. But just going back to the change, the truth is that the processes and the practices and the architecture that we have in place right now is antiquated. Nothing's going to change unless those things are changed. And and I think we that is incredibly important. We can't just say, okay, change, and to Tina's point, not actually change how we're doing things. Um, so really, really important that people get that. They can't expect a different outcome by doing the same things and providing the same enablement. just not going to happen. Thank you, and Patty. And you know what? The redesign, right? That's why we need mm-hmm. to redesign things. Um, yeah. And speaking of redesign, I want to move on to a topic from Tanya M. Oden's list of topics she sent me before the show. And we're going to do a little quote here from the Prime Minister of Canada, of all people. Uh, Tanya, just allow me to read this, and then I'll let you comment, and we'll go around the table quickly, Nicole, then Patty, and then Tina on this. You say, we're ignoring some important, important things when we talk about diversity and inclusion. And then you say... The Prime Minister of Canada is widely quoted as responding to questions about his diverse cabinet by saying, quote, because it is 2016. And then you add women and people of color are still not present on panels, in the media, often in the boardrooms, and race is still a taboo topic. Tanya, why don't you take about two minutes and expand this for us with your point of view, and then we will get everybody else to join in. Go ahead, Tanya. Well, I think it's actually connected to some of what Tina and Patty were just saying. You know, I think we need to do a better job of being specific at what needs to change and showing practices that work in making those changes. So the fact that the Prime Minister received such attention for having gender parity in his cabinet and for having such a diverse board was just intriguing to me, right? Because what, what it showed was, was how different this was. But his response was very telling from a leadership perspective. This is this, you know, connects to the quote that you started at, with at the beginning. Just do it, mm-hmm. basically. Yeah. Right? We have the talent there, so why aren't we putting people in these places and making things accessible. And the thing I want to say, I mean, there's some wonderful best practices around the world. I'm doing a lot of work right now at the UN, and, you know, there's something called Geneva Gender Champions. And, and I'm not saying this is the only answer, but what they've said is that they've asked people who are in Geneva, sort of ambassadors and people who are the head of NGOs, mostly men, to not be on a panel unless there's a woman present. I mean, that's mm-hmm. a huge stake in the ground to mm-hmm. say that. And what, what we're seeing happen in Geneva and parts of Europe 
is that it's changing the game. It's literally changing the way panels look and who's invited to panels. Now, we can, of course, talk about issues of tokenism, and I, and I get that, and I'm aware of that, and I'm concerned about that. I think, though, it's a first step. My point, the last point I'll say about race being a taboo, we need to do something similar for um, the issues of race and ethnicity and culture. So, like many of us on the panel, you know, if you open an email that tells you about this wonderful HR conference or this global HR online summit, and I have been really adamant on social media about calling out these conferences that don't have gender or racial ethnic diversity. And I think we could do a better job of that. Thank you. Very impassioned. And we appreciate that, Tanya. Nicole McCabe, love to get your, your minute and a half of 10 cents in here or two cents or $10, whatever you got in your wallet to talk about what Tanya just introduced. Thoughts, Nicole? Yep, no, I mean, I mean, it's a great point, right, that, that we need to be visually representative of the diversity that we're trying to achieve and push forward. Um, and I think, unfortunately, a lot of times, whether it's at conferences, especially probably in the boardroom, too, right, people will refer folks in their network, um, which speaks to the fact of, are your networks diverse? And people will step back and look, right? So having that diversity um, lens on, so to speak, when you are either creating or participating in a panel, um, I think is, is huge in terms of forcing. I know we've seen that at SAP. Um, when we put out events now, we really look to make sure there is diversity in everything that we're trying to represent, right, because that's what we aspire to be as a company. Um, I love what you mentioned about folks not even participating on panels if it's not diverse. I think that's a great first step. Um, and it's forcing people, again, to, to really look at when they're creating it, when they're participating on it, um, or involved in any way with conferences, panels, boardrooms, um, to have that diversity lens. So I thought that was a really great uh, best practice. And I like the term diversity lens a lot. I've heard it mentioned by a couple of panelists. I think it's very appropriate for our conversation. Patty Fletcher, you're next around the table. Thoughts, please. Yeah, you know, I, um, it's, it's so interesting. So Jonathan Becker, who's SAP's Chief Diversity Officer, is a mentor of mine. And when he used to hold the role as CMO, he used to tell his marketers, and this is a very difficult thing for marketers to understand who do B2B, who do business to business. But what he used to tell us is people do business with people. Brick buildings don't do business with brick mm-hmm. buildings. And, you know, that's really important to understand. Look at the world. <laughs> the 7 billion-plus people walking around aren't all old white guys, right, or young white guys. We're diverse. And if we want to be able to serve the communities, the customers um, that are out there, our workforce needs to match that. And so we're, we're, you know, different colors, different ethnic backgrounds, different beliefs, different, different, different. And we have to be intentional, right, which I think is what we heard here. We have to be intentional. I have friends. I'm an angel investor. I have friends who will only invest now, um, Barbara Clock being one of them from here in Boston, Nastia Angels, will only invest in companies with now African-American women on their founding board. She was just focused on women because they're so underrepresented, very much like the Prime Minister of Canada. Be intentional. And remember, it's 2016, so we have to. And just when, when it comes to women, research shows us that if we continue not being intentional, but just having the conversations, it's going to take us until 2085 for women to be on par with men when it comes to our role in the workforce. I just am a little too impatient, right? I don't want to happen. <laughs> so we you just keep people. being impatient, Dr. Patty Fletcher. That's, <laughs> that's one of your 
jobs that we're giving you that role, and it's important that you are. Thank you. Let's circle around the table to Tina C. Nielsen. Tina, thoughts, please. Yeah, so if I could add to Tanya's comment on how we avoid tokenism, um, I think a lot of times, unfortunately, when we work in this field of work, that a lot of times we also reproduce tokenism, even though we keep saying we shouldn't. Uh, and a lot of times I think also the way we set targets, um, it's also linked to panels, but so with the way we set targets, we say 30% women in management. I actually think we should flip that. Um, that's what we did in the global company I was working in. It resonated with managers. We flipped it and said, you should maximum have 70% of the same gender uh, in your team, maximum 70% of the same generation, maximum 70% of the same educational background, uh, because there are also a lot of uh, women-dominated functions um, mm-hmm. So, you know, it's, it's because we, we want to leverage diversity of perspectives, then you need to have diversity of perspectives present in your team. So flipping it actually really can engage a lot of people, and then we avoid the tokenism. Um, and I would love to see that happening for panels as well, that we don't participate in a panel unless uh, there's maximum 70% of the same gender, and, you know, because to avoid that we end up having just one woman. Uh, so it, that, that's just... Um, I find it a, a very engaging way to, to set targets and, and avoid the tokenism. Very well put. Uh, Tanya, I'm going to give you an opportunity very briefly to round out this part of our conversation. Thoughts on what your other panelists, our other panelists, shared on your topic, please. No, I mean, I agree with everyone. I think it's nice to be on a panel with people that stimulate thought. I mean, I think what we're all saying in my mind is that we need to look at the approaches we've have. So I think Tina's comments are well taken and that's what her work is about. And Patty, you know, you've shared that quote with me before and I think it makes sense. I think it, this connects to my point in the beginning. I think the intentionality for me is one of the biggest things. We have to be intentional in saying we want different types of people and then intentional mm-hmm. in addressing when they're not a diverse group of people. And I think my sort of thought process on this gets a little bit to what I said in one of my other comments about, and that would mean that it's not just the diversity person or the HR person who does that, right? That it's people in leadership positions, that it's people in L&D, that it's people who are the CTO and CIO. I think we want to make sure that we're all looking for that intentionality. To Patty's point, not just because it's the nice thing to do, but because we know that it has business implications. Hmm. Thank you very much. Anybody want to chime on on that quickly? Because I'm ready to turn to something very, I think, very interesting from Nicole McCabe's topics. Everybody good? Going mm-hmm. once, going twice. Okay, Nicole McCabe, I'm looking at your list here. This is interesting. Uh, it, I think it flows well with what we've been talking about. You say, it is ironic with diversity and inclusion. We talk about various topics like gender, LGBT, cultural racial, and in doing so, we fuel exclusion. And then you add, everyone is diverse in their own way. When we limit the discussion to only a few dimensions of diversity, others can't relate, or worse, they feel defensive about how they fit or don't fit into the discussion. Nicole, can you expand this, please, for us? Sure. Um, Well, as I said, right, I think when we talk a lot about um, diversity and inclusion, whether it's in organizations or in higher ed or on various levels, right, uh, we see a lot of, even press feels this, a lot of topic-driven uh, components. So, you know, we're seeing a lot in the press now around gender. We're seeing a lot around LGBT. Um, but we're forgetting that, that core element, which is inclusion. And when we start talking about, you know, the gender piece of it and why we need more women, men can't always relate. 
uh, right? Or, or going back to Tina's earlier point, um, you know, how do you remove that shame or defensiveness? Well, when you talk about those boxes or categories, if you will, um, people will will naturally, I think, start to feel ashamed or that maybe they're doing something or they're not doing the right things or they don't fit into it and they can't relate, right, or that they don't matter. Um, so really, how do you change that conversation and make it more around inclusion and being empathetic to others? Um, and how do you also engage in others to make them um, care about more about inclusion as opposed to, I, I would call the diversity piece of it, which is numbers and, and categories, um, that we talk about. So that's where really where it was coming from. And, and I think it's ironic just that we talk about categories when we mention diversity um, and the inclusion piece of it often is, is left out entirely or it's something that's played down um, instead of being played up more than the diversity component. Thank you, Nicole. Very appropriate and, and uh, very apt. Patty Fletcher, let's hear what you have to say on this. Agree, disagree. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I think we're coming to a place, and I, and I, you know, Nicole, I, I'd say we're we're kind of further along, especially the enlightened ones, where you're absolutely right. Diversity is about the numbers. Inclusion is about the culture. And those are different things. And, Tina, to your point earlier, that requires some different thinking, right, and, and the intentional kind of actions that we take. I've seen... Um, many people now starting to talk about inclusion. If they really understand what that means, that's, that's a different thing. How do we dashboard that? One thing I'd just like to add here to kind of give it, a, give it a different flavor is when we're talking about this topic in the context of a business, which is the majority of the listeners here, I think if I'm the head of a business, because this isn't just HR's job, this is everyone's job. I think Tanya, you went, Tanya, you're the one who said that. We have to remember that we're in business. Right? We have to make money. We have to serve our customers. We have to be innovative. So it, when we're talking about gender diversity, it's absolutely correct that we're looking at, do I have the right percentage of women or, or you know, folks from different backgrounds um, on my, at different levels of the business? I need to be inclusive, but I also need to tie it to business outcomes and not in a way where we're still seeing these stupid reports of justifying why women should be in the boardroom it, makes me so angry. Um, but more, how, how can we actually start tying the decisions we make about our talent in an inclusive environment with the stuff that keeps us competitive and delighting our customers? And I think that's really where we need to take this conversation and take it away from the irony of, well, if we talk about this group, but we don't include that group, we're really going to anger them. I think we just have to change the conversation completely. Uh-huh. Thank you very much. Let's circle around to Tina C. Nielsen. Tina, what do you think? I, I definitely think at the core of inclusion is all about leveraging diversity of thought, diversity of perspective, diversity of knowledge and experience, and so on. And I, so I work a lot uh, as an anthropologist with teams and how they can, you know, leverage much more of their innovative potential and, and make good decisions um, and solve tasks in a good way, you know, so it, it, it fits the business, as Pat is saying. Um, but it's not just about business. It's also in hospitals, working with patients and healthcare and, you know, in schools and children. So, but, but leveraging diversity thought is a, is a tough thing for a lot of people, and I think because a lot of times they don't know enough about group group dynamics, like group conformity, that you can have as much diversity and as many different kinds of people in a team, but if you allow group conformity to dominate, then you're not going to leverage any of it anyway. So it's also about learning how to facilitate 
to get you know something good out of all that diversity. <laughs> so and facilitating and saying, oh, please, everybody just share their their critical voice, or everybody please share their different perspectives. It's not actually going to get people to share the different perspectives. So little simple tricks like facilitating a different way, like everybody write down their uh, argument for or against or their perspective on a note anonymously, and we put it in this pile and then we read them out loud. Now you get access to everybody's mind. So they're very, um, there are other ways to do this than just talking about um, differences or encouraging everybody to speak up or lean in and ask critical questions. You know? So there are many other ways of, of, of working with it. So I think we need to... Um, in, enable, back to Patty's point, enable people to actually be able to do it. Thank you. And you know what? We're very tight on time now. So Tanya M. Odom, I'm going to give you just about oh, one minute or less to wrap up on this topic. And then I'm going to pick up one or two points very quickly from Patty's notes. And then we're going to slam right into the crystal ball predictions round so we get everybody's future view. So Tanya, quickly, what do you have to say? Anything you want to add to this conversation? Yeah, I think it's about the end for me. So I, you know, have been working in civil rights and social justice for a long time. And I think what we know from movements that look to highlight inequity or lack of access is you first have to make the case and point it out. And I worry if we don't also focus on the D of diversity, that inclusion would become just a conversation like I've seen it become in some companies about diversity of thought. Right, so the research done by um, the, in the book The Difference by Scott Page, he's very clear that that diversity of thought comes from background. So my only concern would be that we leave out the diversity of the diversity and inclusion part. But I agree, we need help in working on inclusion because if we don't have people included, they won't stay. We can get as many women or people of color or LGBT people through the door, but they won't stay. So I, I completely agree that inclusion is just as important. Thank you very much. And, Patty, I'm going to fast forward to a couple of headlines from the notes you sent me. I'm going to give you one minute. I'm sorry to do this, Patty. We might have to do a part two on this. Uh, number one, you say women don't need to be fixed. Let's stop it, focusing on mentoring women to be like men. I think we'll just leave that on the table. But the one I'd like you to talk about for just one minute, Patty, is no more excuses about not being able to find qualified women. Patty, one minute. Go. Yeah, finders of women. Um, yeah, so one of the things just in doing this work over the years, and my focus has been absolutely not in the masses, but in the leadership level, boardroom, C-suite, investing in high-growth entrepreneurs, and the guys who are in charge, and make no mistake, they mostly are, um, are, well, I'd bring in more women if I could find them. And I think mm. everybody on this call has really made the point of, I guess you're looking in the wrong room and you're using the wrong <laughs> pair of glasses. If how you have been can getting candidates before and remembering that at those levels, pretty much 100% of those positions are filled from referrals. If you're looking in the wrong rooms, the wrong doors, wrong lens, in other words, doing the same antiquated stuff you've always been doing to fill those positions, you're going to get the same results. We're 50% of the workforce, 50% of VAs, 50% of PhDs, 70% of valedictorians. Do you want me to go on? We're out there. We're ready. In tech, we leave it two times the rate of men. We should be asking why. Again, different lens, different process, different priorities. Um, that's my 
that's my two cents on that. Thank you. I appreciate that. Let me see what time we have. We got about two and a half minutes left altogether. So I'm going to just ask each of you for one prediction, 30 seconds. I'm sorry to squeeze it, but we have to go to, uh, we have to end the show. So Tina C. Nielsen, why don't you give me one quick prediction on what will change? Let's focus on 2020, make it easy for everybody. What's going to happen by then in this conversation about HR inclusion and diversity? Where to? Where will we be by then? Tina, go ahead. Quick. Oh. I hate this question, but okay, I'll give it a go. Um, I think we, we won't have moved very far, unfortunately, unless people start learning a little bit about how to design systems and cultures and uh, processes a little bit different and reframe people's perception about this. Thank you. Great. Tanya M. Odom, I can give you the same brief prediction. Where will we be on tw- 2020 on this topic? We'll have new topics to discuss. We'll be talking about how to include people who are not in the workplace. We'll be talking about robots. We'll be talking about people not being in the workplace. And we'll, I agree with Tina, we'll be in the same place unless we try different things and are a little more intentional about the topic. Thank you very much, Nicole McKay. Predictions, 30 seconds, really 30. Go ahead. Great, and thanks. Um, I think, you know, similar to both, and I think we'll make minimal impact. Um, but again, I think hopefully the conversations will start to become more transformative in nature um, and really talking about what needs to be done and, and what needs to be done from an intentional perspective as well. Thank you. Patty Fletcher, once you cap this off, I can give you the same, oh, about 45 seconds. I'll give you a little extra, Patty. Go ahead. <laughs> okay. Well, because this is an HR show, I'm going to take a little bit of a different tactic. Do I think the numbers will change? No. Do I think HR will be more involved? Um, and we could have a whole other conversation on this. But in my experience, HR has been a blocker a lot of in a lot of these um, discussions. And thank goodness we're seeing that change in companies like SAP and in um, in much of our competitors and many other orgs. What I'm seeing though right now is that HR and maybe not in mass, but maybe the next role of, of early adopters, HR will start to focus on this and see this as part of how they do the people and talent strategy. And I do think we'll make progress there in the next five years or four years. Thank but you not very much. in the numbers. Okay. I think we need a part two on this one, Patty. Way too much to still, still discuss. We did have a packed house. Thank you to Tina C. Nielsen. Thank you to Tanya M. Odin. Thank you to Nicole McCabe. And thank you to Dr. Patty Fletcher. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. This has been very interesting. We touched a lot of hot buttons, a lot of interesting conversation points, so much more to cover. So if you know somebody who would find this interesting, you can just send them to voiceamerica.com, the business channel, and look for Changing the Game with HR. Go to that page and look for this topic, HR Inclusion and Diversity. Where to from here? We'd love to have your comments on Twitter at hashtag SAP Radio. We will read everything, I promise. Won't we, Patty Fletcher? Yes, of course we will. Yes, thank we you will. to everyone, and thank you to Justin, our business channel engineer. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and I will see you next week with a whole bunch more live shows. I think we're doing five live shows a week. It is so much fun bringing you this level of thought leadership. Thank you, ladies. It's been a real pleasure. So here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. And go have one of those cucumber gin and tonics. Fasten your seatbelt. Don't drive. But when you're done, fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Have a great one. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Changing the Game with HR. Presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, 
Tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Thursdays at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.